Listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, February 7th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A clothing shop near Denali National Park will pay over $50,000 in fines to the state of Alaska after telling an undercover investigator that it was selling items made from Yakutat alpacas, which do not exist. As reported in the Alaska Beacon, the fines are the result of a consumer protection lawsuit filed in July by the Alaska Department of Law against the owners of a shop known at points as the Himalayan and Mount McKinley Clothing Company. State prosecutors reached a settlement agreement in November. According to the state, the clothing shop repeatedly attempted to mislabel foreign products as Alaska-made, something that is prohibited by state law. Under the terms of the settlement, the shop will have to pay fines and notify the state before it sells any products labeled as made in Alaska. The terms of the agreement expire in 2028. Tribes near Ketchikan submitted evidence last week to the Canadian and B.C. governments that they hope will give them a voice in transboundary mining discussions. As KRBD's Jack Darrell reports, the tribes say the evidence proves they've had a historical presence along the Yunuk River, which runs through the border. Southeast Alaska tribes have long demanded a seat at the table in how Canada manages mining projects that affect lands and waters across its border. On January 30th, a coalition of the Haida, Tlingit, and Simshian tribal governments submitted testimonial evidence to protect the Yunuk River, one of their river watersheds. The tribal group fears the watershed could be damaged by a proposed open-pit gold mine on the other side of the border. The coalition is called the Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission and represents 15 tribes and tribal groups in Alaska and Canada. Guy Archibald is its executive director. The border that transects these transboundary rivers is a completely false construct. Nothing in nature respects that line on the map. The water, the salmon, the people, the wildlife. Nothing respects that. What happens in the upper reaches of these transboundary rivers will impact our tribes, our communities, and our tribal citizens. The evidence submitted by the commission, which includes personal testimony from tribal members of Metlakatla and other communities in the watershed, is meant to demonstrate the Tlingit people's historic presence along the Yunuk River. The river, northeast of Ketchikan, is an established wild salmon habitat and holds cultural significance to Alaska natives. And the tribal governments say it's under threat from the S.K. Creek Mine, a silver and gold mining project proposed upriver in British Columbia. Essentially, what the tribes are alleging is that unregulated mining across the border in Canada is conflicting with the tribe's obligation to protect traditional lands for future generations. Taja Wali Thati Ta Wagner, a member of the Wolf Clan in Metlakatla, testified that she grew up harvesting hooligan, king salmon, and moose on the Yanuk and plans to protect that cultural right. I would really love to see for us to do another community harvest on that river again and see those bright smiles on everyone's faces one more time and to bring that hooligan to our elders. That is what I would really love to see happen in the future, and I hope to be able to see that for future generations to come. Skeena Resources Limited, the Vancouver-based mining company in charge of the mining proposal, didn't respond to repeated requests for comment. Earth Justice, the organization representing the Tribal Commission, has also brought a case against the Canadian government alleging that their refusal to consult with Alaska Native tribes on large-scale mining developments is an international human rights violation. The claim was recently recognized by the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. Earth Justice attorney Ramin Pajan says the rights of the land's original inhabitants 
precede the boundaries that divided the Inuk River. And this wasn't like a new right. I mean, these went back millennia. And what we're doing here is essentially the same. I mean, these are rights go back millennia and, and the ownership of the Unic River and the territory and the use of that river as integral to their culture, uh, to their subsistence. It, that goes back thousands of years, much before these borders were in place. Pajan says the goal is to capitalize on recent Canadian legal precedent to get the country to consult with Alaska tribes properly, the way they would for tribes protected under the Constitution in Canada. If they're successful, it would be the first time in history that a U.S.-based tribe is granted participating Indigenous nation status in Canada. The country has never legally recognized U.S.-based Indigenous peoples as stakeholders in the country's policy decisions. In Ketchikan, with reporting help from Shelby Herbert in Petersburg, I'm Jack Darrell. Juno's Amalga Distillery is a semifinalist for the 2024 James Beard Awards category of Outstanding Bar. It's their first nomination, but not the first business in Juno to be recognized for the prestigious culinary award. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry popped in to see what this means. The environment of Amalga's taproom is a focus for co-owner Mara Selenek. So when you come into our space, it's distinctively like not a traditional bar feel. We really wanted it to be like open and airy and light and welcoming. She says she and the staff create an environment where people can enjoy and learn what they can do with the alcohol that Amalga makes. Like, for example, their on-tap gin and tonics. At first, Selenek couldn't believe her distillery had been nominated. She and her co-founder slash husband found out through a friend. We woke up uh, and had a, a Instagram message from a friend saying, congratulations, James Beard. And it was shocking. Uh, we had to double check. We're like, is it a, is it a joke? Selenek says that even getting this far is a big enough deal for her. It was not even like a, on our radar as something that was even possible for us. The bar category includes any establishment that serves beverages, including breweries, distilleries, and even coffee shops. The category is for consistent excellence in what they serve and also outstanding atmosphere, hospitality, and operations and businesses that contribute positively to their broader communities. A block away, Bo Schooler, the chef owner of In Boco Al Lupo, is rolling bagels in their kitchen. The restaurant has been named semi-finalist seven times and secured a nomination last year. He says the process is still a bit of a mystery to him. They take like an open call for nominations through just like the industry or like anyone can go and fill out an online form and then they kind of narrow it down from there to their list, and then people come out and judge that list, and that narrows you down to the nominees, and then they come and judge again. But I don't know who, what, or when, or how. He says he thinks that the recognition is helpful for restaurants in larger cities, but here he isn't sure it makes a big difference. As far as locals go, we've had a lot of support from the local community, so it doesn't really change that in their eyes for us. Schooler says for him, what makes Inboco Alupo worthy of recognition is the staff. Kind of wish it wasn't my name on it and it was just the restaurants. And Selenek has the same theory about Amalga. She says the tap room wouldn't be what it is without the staff. The James Beard nominees will be announced in April. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crimery. Petersburg Middle and High Schools now have stricter cell phone policies, and the new policy seems to be cutting down on in-school cyberbullying. KFSK's Hannah Floor has the story. 
High school science teacher Awan Award says when students don't have their cell phones close by, they're a lot more focused on their work. When the phone is out of their reach, they communicate more with their peers, they, they are more attentive to what's going on in the classroom, so I think it's a positive thing for the phone to be away. Petersburg High School and Mitkoff Middle School's new cell phone policy went into effect in January, after the winter break. Students are expected to leave their phones in their backpacks during class. If a student is caught with a cell phone in class, the phone will be confiscated by the teacher for the rest of the class period. If a student is particularly resistant, the phone is sent to the office and a parent is asked to pick it up. If the problem continues, the student won't be allowed to have a phone in the school at all. The new policy is not that different from the old policy, which banned cell phones in the classroom. But it is more specific, banning devices like AirPods as well. It's also being more consistently enforced. And now each classroom has a big sign clearly stating the rules to make sure students understand the expectations. Ward says she can already see the effects after just a month. For one thing, students aren't taking extended bathroom breaks in the middle of class to hang out on their phones. It's amazing to see that the bathroom break is not five, six, seven minutes. It's just like a minute because you can do what you need to do and come back and return to, to your uh, assignment. Brad King is the secondary principal at the Petersburg School District. He says cell phones affect kids' ability to concentrate on the task at hand. He worries about the effect that has on academics. It's very difficult when you're expecting instant gratification for everything you do to have a a 90-minute or 60-minute or 45-minute attention span for your studies. But that's not the only thing King's worried about. One of the biggest concerns that I have with it is that through social media and cell phones, we get a lot of cyber bullying that I want to make sure does not happen on campus. He says that if staff can keep students off their phones for most of the day, they won't have a chance to bully as much during school hours. He says there seems to be a decrease in bullying already. I'm not getting nearly as many reports from kids that I got a text saying this or I got a nasty Instagram or whatever the case may be. I'm not getting as many of those as I was prior to us putting this into play. King says the school has formed a committee, together with community members, to create an anti-bullying program for the coming school year. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. Taking a look at the community calendar. The Baranoff School Renaming Committee makes a full presentation to the Sitka School District School Board at their meeting tonight. The board will vote on a new name at its 6 p.m. meeting at the Shitka Kwan Nakahiti. The deadline to submit written public comment is 5 p.m. and could be delivered to the district office or emailed to info at sitkaschools.org. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.